Hi, everybody. This is Stefan Molyneux from Freedom Main Radio. I'm here with Mike and Stoyan, two of the people who your fine donations keep alive uh, and, of course, locked in the basement of Freedom Main Radio. You can help us out at freedomainradio.com slash donate. And we have sat through, I think it was about three and a half years. It felt like solitary confinement, so you kind of lose track of time. But it was the second round of the U.S. presidential debates on the Republican side. Mike and Stoyan, how are you doing? You say it's the second round of the presidential debate on the Republican side. I feel like I went 12 rounds with uh, <laughs> a major boxer of some sort after sitting through that. Yeah, you know, two and hours wasn't three. long enough last time. Let's bump it up to three. That's great. Let's have 60-plus-year-old men and women sitting up on stage having to hold their uh, <laughs> their bladder control and see which one's going to fail first. That would have made for some entertaining television. But, oh, my God, yeah, three hours. Uh, that was a bit long. Yeah, I think I think the three musketeers here have done battle with the Marvel-inspired fog monster of Republican politics, and we have come out shaken uh, yet still victorious over napping. So, uh, what were the uh, what were the highlights of the debate for you guys? <laughs> Stoyan, go like ahead. the highlights. Yeah. I was actually I was actually expecting a lot more because going into the debate, uh, there were a lot of uh, projections that people will go after Trump and they will go, would go after him very hard. And that didn't happen. There were also mm-hmm. some expectations that uh, well, it didn't happen compared to the Fox debate, the previous one. Oh, they, these moderators were infinitely better than Megyn Kelly and whoever uh, her um, co-conspirators were. Yeah, I mean, these guys, you, you actually got a sense that they were there not for themselves, but for the audience and the candidates. It was really quite quite something. I think in the first debate, it was like 24 minutes or a, like a significant amount of time was taken up with the uh, moderators. But um, these guys were, were way better. Yeah, I had some concerns about uh, Hugh Hewitt because him and Trump had had a back and forth before this. And it's like, oh, he's a moderator. How is this going to go? Is this going to be another thing? But uh, they let people talk, which was quite nice. That being said, though. Uh, say they didn't go after Donald. The first question was essentially, is Donald Trump dangerous? Does he have the right temperament? Would you trust him with the nuclear codes? All right, I I have an objective question for the rest of the candidates. If this ham-colored, weird-haired lunatic has his finger poised right above the button of the nuclear weapons of the United States, do you feel comfortable with that? Well, this... There's an objective opening statement that's not going to get anyone's uh, scrotum up their ass. Now, I'd like to correct myself then. I expected for them to go after Donald a lot harder. It was fairly mild. Like My expectations were that they would go straight for the jugular. Well, and after the Fox debate, anything short of a lynching was an improvement. Yeah. So I, I know what you mean. I thought at some point they were going to have a button, like they have a trap door underneath Donald Trump. And they just, I'm, I'll, hey, you speak again. I'm pushing this button down there. Bengal Tibers and spikes. So stop it. And Rand Paul's a- polling numbers. Ooh, ooh, too soon, too soon. Oh yeah. Why is why is Curly Head up here? I don't even know. He's got one percent. One. But yeah, can you imagine them asking that question about Carly? You know, would you trust a woman with the nuclear codes? I mean, you know. <laughs> they should have done it with Ben Carson. <laughs> okay, there's a black man. He's got nuclear weapons. <laughs> no. What do you no, do? No. <laughs> I mean, if Carly had the nuclear codes and they were in her purse and she left it someplace, I mean, do you feel comfortable <laughs> with that? I mean, I'm not sure. <laughs> or, you know, she takes out the nuclear codes, tries to dial someone, blows up the world, you know. <laughs> oh, God. 
makes sense. That is actually my first uh, exposure. I, you know, and I, I didn't, I, I would just jump it around. Sorry, Stone, you're going to say? That was actually my first exposure to her. We'll talk about it more later, but yeah. No, no, let's talk about her now. Because, <laughs> let's talk about her now. Because I've actually not really seen, I just know that she had a pretty disastrous run. Uh, at um, at uh, Hewlett Packard, yeah, she started as a secretary, and uh, uh, when she started the company, what she had sales of forty two billion and a three point one billion dollars in net earnings when she uh, in nineteen ninety nine. When she left in oh five, they had eighty seven billion dollars so in sales. So that's a lot more. However, uh, the sales, uh, the billion, the earnings had gone from three point one billion down to two point four billion. And, um, you know, she says it's the market. And, of course, you know, it was a, it was a tough market and all that. But uh, she has been voted by some as uh, one of the top six CEOs, up there with John Skelly uh, in history. So uh, well, I you have know, a whether- personal HP story from when she was uh, running the company, which is quite delicious and I just thought of during the debate. Oh, what was that? <laughs> I, was always, I always liked HP computers, and I was in the market for a new desktop. And it's like, all right, I'm going to buy a new desktop. And they would not take my money. I had excellent credit. I had a credit card used for everything. I'm one of those people that puts everything on a credit card and pays it off. And I bought brand new custom-made desktop, you know, like 1000 bucks, something like that. And uh, they just didn't send it to me, didn't cancel my order. It just stayed in like this weird holding pattern. So I called them back. I was on the phone with customer service for hours. Eventually, uh, they canceled the order, and they said, put it in again. I put it in again. Exact same thing happened. They literally would not take my money. I am trying to buy their product. They wouldn't send you a computer either, right? They wouldn't send me a computer. They wouldn't process the order. I've never had this kind of problem with anything else. I ended up just buying, uh, I think it was a Dell after that. It's just like, oh, fine. I'm just going to go somewhere else because I need a computer. I don't want to wait around for another forever and a day to get this custom order placed. And it's like, if that's uh, indicative of anything that was going on while she was running the ship, uh, yeah, I can see why the company was in the ground. I'm trying to give you money for your product. Why won't you take it? I, w- I wonder if that's the case with her political donations as well. I wonder if she's managed to clean that up a little bit now that uh, it's a little bit more visceral. <sighs> but so, okay, so Carly Fiorina, I mean, I thought she had some good answers, uh, lots of passion. And, you know, I hate to comment on appearance, but I'm afraid I have to. Um, she just looked the entire debate like she was clenching a lemon in her hoo hoo. Like she just had this kind of really constipated sour look on her face and boy you know when they set up that question because you know donald trump had said do you want that face as your next president and i i believe him it didn't have anything to do with her looks it was just that thin-lipped you know there's an old saying is you you've never met your you, you never really know your wife until you meet her in court uh, and that is the kind of woman who would come after you with uh, i don't know a couple of chris christie's behind her in a dark alley and uh, she just, you know, when, when that comment came up, and I thought that she handled it completely badly, the comment about that, that Donald Trump make, made about her face, she's like, I th- all women know exactly what he meant. Okay, first of all, don't Borg all women, man. Don't, bar- get, don't Bogart that joint, don't Clinton me, and don't Borg all women. Uh, a, a lot of women are like, okay, so the entire world has made fun of Donald Trump's hair for approximately 600 years. So what? She should have just said, I don't care. If, if the only thing he's got to criticize about me is my face, I've already won. You know, <laughs> like she should have just put this, hmm, well, every woman knows what he meant. And it's just, oh, man, like if you want to run with the boys, then, you know, Chris Christie gets called fat. You know, just, you know, I heard that someone called you fat, Chris Christie. How do you feel about that? 
Um, and it's just like he's like, I don't care. <laughs> like, I mean, this is politics, you know. Uh, Carly has made fun of Trump's hair, and uh, yeah. in her previous, uh, I believe it was the Senate seat she was running for, she was actually caught um, with a hot mic making fun of the hairdo of her uh, the person she was competing against. So it's like, oh, you're you're just above this commenting on appearance thing. And and Trump's oh, and comment was... too was uh, he had a reporter following him around for an extended period of time, and it was something that he made. You know, around his own campaign staff. I don't know if it was on his jet or, but this guy followed him around for like a week plus to get this story. It's not like he was, you know, screaming this from the rooftops on national television. So, a private comment, right? Not meant for public consumption. And, uh, you know, we've all said things about people. And I just, I thought, what a great moment that would be to really be a feminist. And not pull the I'm hurt and offended kind of thing and all women know and, you know, oh, God, it's just like, come on. Well, God, what was that at the end, guys? What what was that at the end? Go ahead, Stoy. I was just about to say that I'm pretty sure that works in politics. I mean, if you go talk to Putin and tell him that you're... Your feelings were offended. I'm sure he'll respect that. <laughs> right. That's that's going I mean, to that, work out. That's what all Russians nice. do, at least. That's what I've been told. But maybe, I don't know. I'm not that experienced in politics. So, so how are your diplomatic relations with Russia going to go, given that they're uh, becoming a bit of a world power here and operating in the Ukraine and everything like that? I don't think we should talk to them. Rampol's like, uh, you know, we did talk to the Soviet Union during the Cold War. You don't know that, right? Di- diplomacy is kind of important. No, I don't want to talk to him. Okay, okay. Well, I just also, Stoin, you know, I'd, I'd love to take your opinions on Russia, but given that you used to live in the uh, former Soviet-controlled uh, Eastern European area, um, we're going to have to defer to my experience because <laughs> I read some, some uh, Dostoevsky <laughs> once. So, um, now... So, yeah, I, I mean, I thought she was she was not bad. I, I just that to me was a very disappointing moment where she could have really redefined the woman's movement and just made it. You know what this is like? This is like, you know, in in um, uh, wrestling, right? Professional wrestling. They have this massive amount of trash talking that's going on. Right. And that's to be expected. And the same thing happens in politics. You make fun of people and and so on. Right. And you make fun of their appearance sometimes. And it's you know, it's just I don't know if it's a guy thing or whatever, but um I just, uh, it would have been great. It's just sort of like there was this big trash talking and then the reporters going to the woman saying, you know, that, uh, you know, Ronda Rousey, she said something mean about you. How do you feel about that? It's just like, oh, man, come on. <laughs> this is the game. Now, her and also, was, sorry, good. Her reply was the political equivalent of feigning on the sofa, sadly. Mm. <laughs> Get me my smell and salts. <laughs> Jethro, he done made off with my honor and my pony. <laughs> Now, did um, did I get this right? Did 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 Chris Christie openly say that he was going to prosecute or he wanted to prosecute a Clinton? Uh, he <laughs> I think that was in the context of the potential presidential debate he would have with her. No, yeah. no, he said he wanted to really go after Clinton that he felt that she'd done. He wanted to prosecute her. Now, Chris, let me just tell you something, man. <laughs> If you if you look back throughout history, there are uh, a number of people missing from family photos who also wanted to go after the Clintons. I know you're from New Jersey, but you might want to be sleeping with one eye open at this point. Lots of people seem to end up packing themselves in their own luggage or taking a swim at the bottom of the Hudson if they go after the Clintons. So I uh, I think you just better look over that shoulder of yours. You know, don't uh, don't don't lower your guard at the salad bar. You know. Hoi, hoi. <laughs> Did you hear something? Was that a Clinton? 
you know, Bill coming up, sort of, hey. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, bad things happen to those who go after the Clintons. So uh, uh, you might want to get your campaigning in now because otherwise they might just be a cardboard cutout of you or there'll be a suitcase with your hand sticking out of the handle <laughs> the next time that there's a debate. Uh, well, before we dig deep into Chris Christie, there's another Carly thing I just want to mention right from the end of uh, – of the debate where everyone is giving their closing remarks. And Carly said something about, you know, uh, in when after I'm president, people remember that, you know, women can choose to live the life that they choose. I believe that was the word that she used. Women can choose to live the life that they choose. What the hell does that mean? Do women, cur- are women currently unable to live the life that they choose? Are they choosing lives that they're not living? What's going on here? I'm <laughs> they're living lives that are chosen by other things than their own, the particular choice in bra. That's that's all I can come up Patriarchy. with. Patriarchy. Yeah. Patriarchy. <laughs> Something like that. Got it. Got it. Oh god. Wait, can we can we just move on to Ben? Oh, hang on. Wait, wait. Hang on. Let me have a little coffee here. In fact, I'm just gonna pour this scalding coffee directly in my eyeballs before we talk about Ben. Oh wait, hang on. Oh god. Okay. First of all, Ben Carson, absolutely fantastic doctor. And do you know why he's an absolutely fantastic doctor? He's incredibly cheap because not only is his surgeon but he's also his own anesthesiologist because all he does is tell you about him. Oh, man, wait. Oh, so, yeah, very cheap. He is his own anesthesiologist, and he is really not the most stirring person in the known universe. I mean, if you ever wanted to, you know, here's how you do a debate. If you've been up for about four years straight, it would look a little bit something like this. And also he said he advised President Bush to not invade Iraq. Uh, I looked that up. No, I, I looked that up. He wrote a letter to the president. <laughs> you know, in the same way, in the same way that when I was eight, I advised, I advised Santa Claus on what I wanted for Christmas because I also wrote him a letter. Uh, in the same way, I have advised, uh, you know, particular starlets on on what they should do to me when I was younger because I wrote them letters. Uh, so, what do you hey, Steph, I. The, I didn't know. The nuclear deal I, in Iran. What do you think about that, sir? God. Man. Go ahead. Steph, I didn't know you were this well connected. It, you know, it's amazing. I can write lots of letters to people, and that makes me part of their inner circle. Um, <laughs> also, can I just do one other thing with Ben? But, <laughs> sorry, with Ben Carson. <laughs> Please do, Steph. Please do. Okay, so he was talking about the illegal immigration issue. Yes. Now, his plan, uh, correct me if I got this wrong, because, again, I'm passing in and out of the borders of consciousness, whatever that man is talking. But if I understood this correctly, he basically said that he was going to assign illegal immigrants to agricultural work for some period before they might be able to get some work permit, right? Yeah, he was talking about guest workers and allowing lots of guest workers in to pick produce and all that type of stuff. The jobs that Americans just won't do, you know. So did the black man? Yes. And I, I know. Hang on. Hang on. Hang on. Just wait. No, no. I I couldn't believe this. Like I literally, literally, I woke up. That's how astonished I was. I thought I gotta have just had like that. Just did I had to get a head blow? Did the black man just say we should force people to pick cotton? Well, how's that cotton going to get picked if we don't have slaves, Steph? I mean, I don't know. Don't they have robots for that kind of stuff now? But that just seemed like a kind of a jaw-dropping thing. You know, I mean, I think if anybody but a black man had said, you know, what we really need to do is get minorities in the country and force them to pick our cotton for us. Because, I mean, 
Like that's been any problems in the past, right? Yeah, despite the fact that they like, actually do have machinery now that can pick a lot of this stuff, it's just currently cost prohibitive because you can pay people a whole lot less money to do it by hand. So, <laughs> you know, anything else? You know, anything but picking cotton, Ben. That just anything else. Anything else but field-based chattel slavery is probably where you want to be taking the American population as a whole. You know, and maybe what we could do is we could get a guy with a whip to, like, stand in front of them, and they could, like, sing songs, and they could do spirituals. Why and, a guy? Uh, yeah. Holy God. Why not Carly That was astounding. With a whip. Well, there's been a few Carson gems over the course of the last couple of days. Uh, well, in the debate, he also talked about wanting to potentially raise the federal minimum wage. But, you know, it's a challenge because, you know, if you raise the wage, less people get jobs. At least he gave lip service to that. But the idea that uh, the black Republican candidates, who hopefully is aware of economics to some degree, wants to raise the federal minimum wage or at least is even talking about it without realizing how anti-black it is. I mean, you're going to disproportionately impact the black community if you raise the federal minimum wage and raise the ceiling. On uh, you know the barrier you got to jump over in order to get a job in this country. It's, again, it's just something like, oh my god, <laughs> like no, come on, Mike. I mean, operating on brains and economics is pretty much the same thing. He's a good doctor. Yeah, I wouldn't. <laughs> he's a good doctor, <laughs> and he also uh, this. I I've, I'm still kind of in shock at this comment he made. This wasn't in the debate, but it was a, a couple days ago on uh, Friday. Actually, he went to Ferguson. Okay, now why is the black mm-hmm. Republican candidate going to Ferguson? Uh, you know, you're not going to Ferguson because beaches, you know. Wait, I, wait. Pick up, a, pick up a grocery bag full of street cred? Would that be somewhere in the vicinity? Ah, uh, maybe he wanted to shop at the CVS. Oh, wait, no, they left. The CVS is gone. No CVS in Ferguson anymore. Um, he was there meeting with the press, and he asked if he would have shot Michael Brown if he were an officer Darren Wilson's shoes. And we've done videos on this subject, if you haven't seen them before, you can look on this channel for him. But he said, it's hard to say. I probably, knowing who he was, I probably just would have arrested him. <laughs> no, didn't he say call for backup? <laughs> well, that was the next thing. The next thing he said, you know, I, I would have waited for backup before having the altercation. Before having the altercation. Before having the altercation, because everybody knew that altercation was going to happen. You know, and and if I was his boss in the police department, I'd say, Ben, if you need backup for everything, we don't really need you. Yeah. <laughs> because, uh, you know, well, there's a guy jaywalking. I'm calling for backup. <laughs> this guy's been speeding. I'm calling for backup. It's like, you know, they, they also have things to do that are important. But, um, yeah, that was quite something. Oh, well, I'm pretty I mean, sure. He's in Ferguson. He's in Ferguson specifically. Specifically because it's Ferguson, specifically, yeah, I got to yeah. say, because he's a black Republican candidate, and this is a big issue. And, I mean, either he's not educated on what happened and the fact that Darren Wilson was exonerated by both the grand jury and the Justice Department and, you know, corner. And if you, if you shoot a black man and you're exonerated by Eric Holder's Justice Department, I mean... That's a high barrier to jump over. <laughs> yeah, that's, you know, I, I'm not going to call you super guilty after that. Yeah, so either he's uninformed about what happened, just like, oh, I probably would have just arrested him, or he's just an idiot. So I don't know what's worse in this situation, <laughs> if he's just completely uninformed, or he's an idiot that is just wants to pander. And 
And the, the correct answer is is pretty simple. Is somebody okay? You get. I'll be Ben. Wait. <laughs> okay. I'll be. I'll be Ben. I'll stop that joke. I'll be. I'll be Ben Carson. And and ask me the question. Okay. So, Carson, um, uh, would you have shot Michael Brown if you were in Darren Wilson's shoes? Well, the question isn't would I have shot Michael Brown. The question is, does the police, uh, does a police officer under the law at the moment? have the right to act in self-defense if, if he's being physically assaulted and a gun has been discharged and he's being charged down by a 300-plus-pound young man. I mean, the, the, the question is, does the, do, do the police have the right or anyone have the right to act in self-defense when, defense when they're assaulted in that manner? Under the law, yes, and that is their training. So you really have to ask the police what they're trained for, and my understanding is that's what the police are trained for. And that would have been a much better response than what he gave. <laughs> After I, I would have waited for backup because, <laughs> because it came over on the radio that there was a shoplifting incident and some 20, 20 cents worth of cigars had been taken. So I thought I'd wait for backup because shoplifting. <laughs> yeah. And after all and these years a, of Obama and the way he's kind of, uh, I don't want to say, just placated the black community when it comes to certain issues within the black community, which are quite obvious, single parenthood, prevalence of spanking, violence, you know, the idea of Ben Carson, who's doing pretty well in the polls comparatively to a lot of the other Republican candidates, which are falling through the floor. Um, that, I mean, that's a horrific thought of someone else in a position of power, another black man in a position of power who would placate and strip responsibility from the black community. That's, that's pretty happen. unforgivable, frankly. Stein, you were going to say? Oh, it, uh, I was just going to say with your answer, if I would support your candidacy if only you could operate on brains. Unfortunately, though, I'm sorry, Steph. I think I still go with Carson. <laughs> There's another uh, Carson thing, too, when they were talking about illegal immigration. And he he kind of gave – it seems like he's coming around to a, a more secure the borders position, which you know anyone that wants to poll well is – probably going to do that, considering that's something that the majority of the American people and Republicans especially are in favor of, and it's been pretty much the rocket boost behind Trump. But he's like, as far as deporting illegal people, he pretty much just said, I he can't get that done. He's like, you can't really do that. Can't. And it, it, I wasn't sure if he was saying, like, I can't get it done, or it's not possible, but it just kind of came <laughs> off as like, personally. I don't... I don't really know how to do that. It's kind of how like it came off to me. And it's like, I don't know that you want to be saying that about what is frankly probably the most important issue to the majority of voters within this election cycle on a huge stage like this with last debate had 25 million people. Who knows what this will have? I mean, uh, I got to think, and I'm, you know, I might look foolish with this prediction, but I got to think the support that he's seen recently is going to start to erode after this debate performance saying stuff like that, considering how important this issue is to the majority of the Republican primary voters. So you don't want to you don't want to go to Republicans and say, we have no way of enforcing the most important law to you at the moment. Uh, that is not how politics. Work. I'm not a politician, but I'm sure that that is not how politics work. Uh, if you want to make a sale, you don't say to your prospective purchaser, I cannot possibly implement the only thing you really care about. <laughs> that is a great way to not make a sale. And when you're trying and, to get points uh, on Trump, who's like, I'll just do it. I'll get it done. I'll get it done. I'll get it done. And has a history of getting stuff done for the most part in business. And you're like, well, gee, I don't know if that's practical. I mean, like, <laughs> that's not going to come off well. To, uh, well, either you've point. studied it and you know it's impossible 
let's just say, which, of course, you know, is it impossible? I mean, who knows, right? I mean, who knows how well it's going to work, how badly it's going to work. But either you've studied it in depth and you've come to the reason to conclusion that it's completely impossible, uh, in which case uh, you need to shut down the borders of the United States. Because if a government program can't be achieved, if government laws cannot be enforced, you're just wasting a huge amount of money pretending to enforce them. So then the, the logical consequence in the minds of the voters is he can't, he's no interest in securing the borders. He's not going to deport anyone. And so there's no capacity to enforce any borders around uh, the south uh, of, uh, of America. And frankly, That's, so there's no country. Well, the, the people that say services. it's not possible yeah. to, it's uh... – I mean, I'm saying this as someone who's not a fan of the political process, to put it mildly, but we know that people respond to incentives, much like politicians respond to campaign contributions. People respond to incentives. So what happens if all of a sudden you start going after people that are employing folks that are in the country illegally and start issuing massive fines and that type of stuff, make it cost prohibitive to try and save a a nickel when it's going to cost you a buck to uh, have an illegal immigrant on on the payroll? And um, just cut off welfare to people who are illegal immigrants. I mean, cut off welfare to everyone if you could. Right. But at least start with the illegal immigrants who haven't paid into the tax system. That's a start. And and just you you just cut off. I mean, there's so many places in America you can get driver's licenses. You can get your kids in school. You can get health care. You can get and you don't have to be a legal citizen. What the hell does any of that mean? Why are people here? They're here for either federal benefits. They want welfare benefits or they want jobs. And if both of those dry up. They'll probably leave. I mean, that's people right. respond to incentives. So, can it not be done? Well, since people respond to incentives, and those are two relatively simple things, yeah, that could be done. So, don't tell me it can't. I'm not saying I agree with those things being done, but don't tell me it can't, for Pete's sakes, because that's just bullshit. <laughs> yeah, and I mean, if if the uh, if the government can collect taxes from 300 million people. Mm-hmm. I think that it can get some stuff done. I mean, again, I'm not a big fan. Just for those of you who shocked and appalled by all of this, this is us taking off our regular political helmets and just talking about politics. So please don't scream at us about integrity and stuff like not that. Talking about principles. We're talking about yeah, yeah, cause yeah. and effect and people debating this issue and what they're saying and if it's valid or not. Now, Chris Christie had an unfortunate uh, habit of making me feel like a ghost. I don't like that feeling. I don't. I really, I do not like that feeling because I get confused. I attempt to float off the couch. I attempt to go through closed doors. I attempt to rattle chains and scare children. Um, Because Christy was like, this, uh, I'm going to believe in you. I believe in you. And it's like, I'm here. I mean, I don't need you to believe in me. (laughs) I just need you to stop the government from interfering with everything I want to do. I believe in you. I believe in you. It's like, I am not a deity. I don't need your faith. I don't need you to believe in me. I just, I know I'm here. Just get out of my way. But don't you feel more and Chris Christie, it's, it's a horrible cliche, right? And I, I fought it the whole, but I'm telling you, man, Chris Christie is like the kind of guy, it's like, yeah, I think I'm, I think I'm going to give this guy some campaign money. Otherwise, something really bad is going to happen in my <laughs> Italian restaurant. You know, like I just, I just have that feeling. Nice guy. I mean, whatever, right? But well, uh, I don't know if I go as far to say nice guy. But well, you know, it, it an affable nice persona. An affable persona is probably the way. He seems to put like it. the fat guy at a bar who's loud and makes funny jokes, and you could get along with for an evening if it didn't go too personal. That's about where it is with. And, the... Unless, I, I, although he's a tripwire guy, like he's the kind of guy you're like, you're laughing, you're laughing. It's like the scene out of. Um, 
Oh, God, good fellas, you know? You think I'm funny? You think I'm a clown? Right? I mean, like, you're laughing, you're laughing, you're laughing, and then you say something, and <laughs> laughter stops. The whole bar goes quiet. Hey, man, you shouldn't have said that. You flipped a switch. Back away slowly. <laughs> That's the kind of guy he looks like. And there- <laughs> hey. <laughs> you went too far, and now you're wearing cement shoes, and you're falling off the bridge that I previously blocked and didn't let people over, which led to the death of several people. Um, Chris Christie, if he offers to walk you to your car, do do, do not take that offer. <laughs> <laughs> also, for Chris Christie, if someone from the Clinton family also offers to walk you to your car, don't take that offer either, but we already talked about that. Mike Huckabee is missing. Last scene with Chris Christie. <laughs> to, be, to be fair, though, between Christie and the Clintons, I choose Christie any day. He seems like the safer bet. Christie is fresh bullshit, Let's, as opposed to Clinton's, yeah. which are stale bullshit. And Christie is is certainly, I would say, at least 120% less rapey. And that is, you know, call me old-fashioned, call me sentimental, call me a father. I just find that to be, like, like didn't Hillary Clinton just do a commercial about, you know, how much she really, really believes the victims of sexual assault, unless they stand between her and political power, in which case you're completely screwed. Unless they're accusing her husband of nefarious things over the course of the years, which then she will have them destroyed. (sighs) My God. Evil with a straight face. It's shocking. There's also, uh, with Christie, it's kind of interesting watching him and Rand Paul go back and forth on the, the topic of medical marijuana and drugs in general and drug treatment. And, you know, Chris Christie talking about the importance of health and needing to get people treated for these issues. It's just like, oh, dear. I mean, just, I don't want to be that guy, but like, no, just stop, please. Please. Hey, man, I'm not smoking those donuts. Um, now, did I get this right? Did donuts Carly are just the gateway to the entire cookie bar or the entire <laughs> pint of Haagen-Dazs. I don't know. No, that's the code did, word, uh, though. Did... Um, Carly Fiorina, this, her, her kid died of a drug overdose? Okay, I looked into this because I was pretty shocked to, to hear that. Yeah, okay, so what do we got here? Okay, she was first married to someone named Todd Bartlam for seven years uh, before she married her second husband. Her first marriage, um, Bartlam says there's a lot of animosity from the marriage, telling the Daily Mail that Florina had pathological pursuit of power and was very calculating. He said she yeah. only stayed married to him while he was useful to her, getting through her graduate school degree. Um, and then she had an affair on him with Frank, her second husband, uh, but she claims they were already divorced by the time she and Frank began dating. So, and they haven't had any contact since 1984 when they, uh, they split up. So who knows with divorce stuff, people can just say anything, but, uh, you know, there's something lurking there. And it was her stepdaughter who uh, was the one that passed away from drug addiction and alcoholism in 2009 at the age of 39. She said in one of her so books the kid, that they the kid had tried... was pretty much raised. She was pretty raised by the time she came along, right? Yeah, it, that's what okay. it sounds like. But uh, yeah, that was quite a bomb to kind of drop in the middle of the middle of the debate. Well, interesting. Uh, did 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 uh, Jeb Bush actually refer to himself as a disruptor? I'm pretty sure he did. Disruptor. I, I, I heard. Disruptor. Energizer. I heard. Now, energizer so later. Now, earlier on, he referred to himself as a an outsider, an outlier, a disruptor for sure. I wrote that down. A disruptor. And uh, I, you know, if you're if you're if your dad's been president and your brother's been president, 
You're not a disruptor. <laughs> Hillary I'm an outsider is because... outside candidate, you know, fighting against Washington. Wait, what? Yeah. <laughs> if by disruptor he meant that he was a machine, I would agree with that. Oh, like Disrupticon? <laughs> <laughs> a disrupted drone, perhaps? Disrupted drone, right. Yeah, that, that uh, again, this is the view that people have of themselves. It's really uh, quite, uh, quite something. Oh, no, my... my my favorite part of the debate was uh, when Bush got really upset at Trump and was like, I'm proud of my family. And, and Trump was wrong for saying that I may have a soft spot for Mexico regarding immigration. And he's like, he needs to apologize. He needs to apologize. And, of course, Trump brought up his previous comments about immigration and how it's an act of love and, and all that kind of stuff, which he's walked back because it's not very popular. And uh, Trump said – what Trump had said previously is, if my wife were from Mexico, I think I would have a soft spot for people from Mexico. I mean, that doesn't sound out of uh, out of the norm. That seems pretty reasonable. Well, no, because we, we just have to – I'm sorry, just break in. This is just a logical breakdown to this. So if his wife was, was brought up in the Mexican culture, then either A, she has completely rejected the Mexican culture and is now un-Mexican or anti-Mexican, which seems functionally impossible, but – Either that's the case, in which case his love of her is in no way related to her history uh, as coming from Mexico and from the Mexican culture. That's sort of one possibility. I don't think that's the case. Secondly, he likes and loves her partly because she was shaped and forged by the Mexican culture, in which case his love for her is also spilling over based upon her origins from the Mexican culture. I mean, you can't you can't love guys with a British accent and then hate everything to do with England. That doesn't make any sense. Well, it it even gets better. Uh, so Jeb plugged his book that he wrote on immigration. <laughs> Want to know how the book starts? Immigration to me is personal. It means my wife and my family. <laughs> oh no! Oh no! Do they think there's no internet? There's no internet out here. Do they think that that this is a newspaper whose editor they have something on? (laughs) And then like in the paragraph, it says, thanks to my wife, I became bicultural and bilingual and my my life is better because of it. For the first time in my life, I learned what the immigrant experience was. (laughs) No, no, no. Mike, Mike, you've you've misread that. What he meant to write was, thanks to my wife, I've become bicurious. I, I, I don't think uh, his mom will like that either, in addition to Hang his on a second. smoking. <laughs> is, is the potential future president claiming to be bicultural? He said, I became bicultural and bilingual, and his life is better because of it. For the first time in my life, I learned what the immigrant experience was, and I grew to appreciate her desire to learn English and embrace American values, while still retaining her love for the traditions of Mexico. Wait a minute. They... What? What? That's what he did. No, hang on, hang on. They met. She did not speak English, and he did not speak Spanish? I I remember reading about this before. I believe that was the case. He was, uh, I'm not sure if it was a, as a student or whatnot, but he was he was traveling and met her, I believe, in Mexico. Oh, my God. And uh, Steve, you, you know what that means, right? Oh, I am thinking about what that means, but I'm curious what you think it means. <laughs> <laughs> well, if there was no dialogue happening, there was something else that was happening that attracted them to each other. <laughs> well, the first thing I noticed was how she could eat a cucumber without chewing. <laughs> Next thing you know, we're married and we're trying to learn each other's language. <laughs> 
Wow. Hang on, no. Maybe not a cucumber, a jalapeno, perhaps? I don't, I don't know what that's <laughs> God. And then she took a piece of navel rope and tied it in her mouth, just using her tongue. Next thing you know, we were betrothed. And, uh, wow, so, so he's openly admitted that his marriage to his wife has had a huge effect on making him positive towards Mexico and immigration. Uh, yeah, it's, uh, maybe he's just assuming no one has read his books, because I can't fathom yeah. what, but uh, then it's denies there. it. Quite so so then he demands that <laughs> the Donald must apologize. He demands that Donald apologize to his wife for the very reason that Jeb loves his wife. <laughs> I don't even. I I can see why his children are criminals. <laughs> well, there's that too, folks. Okay, let's 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 come on. Let's let's go full TMZ on this on this uh, show. Okay. Let's let's dig up. Let's dig up a wee bit of dirt on the Jebs. Okay, I got a bunch of notes here, so um, let's look. All right. We have first Jeb's eldest son, George Prescott Bush, um, ran into some trouble in 1994. Let's see. Back when he was a Rice University student, this is from The Smoking Gun, Bush was investigated for burglary and criminal misconduct related to a 4 a.m. visit to the Miami home of his ex-girlfriend and her parents. Uh, the police department report includes an account of the incident provided to the cops by his ex-girlfriend's father. Because um, he stalked her, right? According to the report, Bush was wearing black shorts and no shirt, arrived at the residence, and went to his daughter's bedroom window, pulled it open, and pushed the screen inward. As Bush was climbing in the window, uh, the father awoke and spotted the trespasser. A neighbor also spotted Bush trying to get in the residence and began to argue with him. And, and sorry, but this is after, like a year after they broke up? He's still freaking her out by coming in through her window? I don't know night? the, uh, let's see, um, later in the port it says they've been separated for one and a half years. So, a year and a half so after yeah, she so tries concerned. to break up with this guy, he's crashing in through her window in the middle of the night. She added that Bush has been a problem ever since they broke up. <laughs> Yeah. So I didn't finish. With his intrusion thwarted, Bush backed out of the window, and uh, he jumped into a vehicle and fled. But then he returned to the home 20 minutes later and drove his car through their yard, causing damage to about 80 feet of the lawn. Mm. <laughs> um, so an officer showed up and spoke to Bush and the parents of the ex-girlfriend. But uh, oddly enough, the ex-girlfriend's parents didn't want to press any charges, and Bush was not arrested <laughs> on the scene. Yeah, you know. Why. Hmm. Hmm. <laughs> now, he was in his 20s at this point, right? So it wasn't like he was, you know, 16 or something. I mean, he was an adult and, and all that. And, uh, yeah, probably a, wise, probably a wise move to not, uh, not press charges. And, of course, the police wouldn't be that keen on pressing charges either, right? Because... Who wants to step mess. in that mess, you know? Right. Um, so his second child, Noel, was charged with prescription drug fraud in 2002. Um, this is when he was governor. She was arrested in Tallahassee on charges of trying to fill a fake prescription for the popular tranquilizer Xanax. Maybe that explains Jeb's lack of energy. Um, this is from USA Today. Bush and his wife, Columbia, issued a statement that they were deeply saddened by the incident involving their middle child and only daughter, Noel, who was 24 at the time. They asked the media and the public to respect their privacy during this difficult time so that we can help our daughter. Um, right. It continued, a Walgreens pharmacist suspiciously, uh, suspicious about who a call-in prescription her, right? yeah, notified police at 1.15 in the morning 
when she showed up at the drugstore's drive-thru in her white Volkswagen to pick up. She was charged with prescription fraud, a felony that carries a maximum penalty of five years in jail and a $5,000 fine. She had no criminal record at the time and was released without having to post bond. And uh, she's also been cited for about a dozen traffic violations and was involved in three automobile crashes since 1995. That's according to the Associated Press. So, driving under the influence, possible, you can say, with that many traffic violations and automobile crashes with a history of... So she's a drug addict. Yes. So we've got stalker breaking in potential rapist creep. And we've got drug addict car crashing monster. We're not done yet. Um, you know, for all the people that want to bring up, uh, have you heard? Have you guys heard that Donald Trump, a couple of his companies, declared bankruptcy years ago? This is the first time I heard of it. Um, hey, you know what I've heard is that the the only problem that Jeb Bush has ever had with any kind of drugs in the family is forty years ago he smoked pot in high school. Everything. Well, what else could you bring up? Um, so the daughter as well. Um, she had quite possibly maybe been charged with shoplifting in 1995. It's still kind of fuzzy, but this is from the Palm Beach Post. Oh, this Noel, this uh, Noel? Yeah. Um, yeah. She, she may have not been honest about it and given a different name for the, the thing, but there's, there's some murky stuff there that you can look into. If you search Jeb Bush family, all this stuff will come up, and it's on uh, reputable websites. And the youngest son, Jebby Bush... <laughs> was charged with having sex in a parking lot in the year 2000 from the New York Post. Jebby Bush, the son of W's younger brother, um, was nabbed for having sex outside the Tallahassee Mall on October 7th by a pair of security guards. Um, he was uh, Jebby Bush and his unnamed blonde companion, a student at, the, at a private school, were both naked from the waist down and locked in a lusty embrace inside a blue Jeep Cherokee. The cop filed a sexual misconduct report since the couple were having sex in public view. <laughs> Classy. Classy. And uh, Jebby, also in 2005, this is from the AP, was arrested for charges of public intoxication, resisting arrest. Um, yeah, pretty much is drunk, resisted arrest. And again, uh, the governor was asked about it and said, my son's doing fine. It's a private matter. We will support him. We're sad for him. I'm not going to discuss it in, in the public square with 30 cameras, he said. And this this happened when he was governor. So, you know, if we're going to talk about stuff that happened in the past, his record as a parent on uh, how well his kids have not done, I think that's relevant to the discussion in the conversation, considering... Wait, bi- biracial kids with problems? Whatever next, Elliot Roger? <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> yeah. And there's, there's also issues with... Um, his wife, who, let me see, uh, his- who, by the way, is so small, she looks like the r- last Russian doll in one of those Russian dolls within Russian dolls collection. Yeah, I don't have, um, I don't have the, the stuff on his wife, but I'll just off the top of my head. She was coming back from, I believe, Paris, and you have to declare what you have uh, in goods when you cross international borders. And she declared a small amount, and she had like $20,000 worth of, of stuff. So she was trying to skirt taxes, which is hilarious when you come from a family of politicians who the only reason that they have any livelihood is because of the political system. That's, that's just a delightful, delightful tidbit. So she got caught and ended up having to pay a bunch of fines, and this has been kind of floating around Jeb Bush as well during his uh, gubernatorial 
But the important thing, Mike, is that is that in Florida, Donald Trump may have wanted to open a casino. See, that's the really important thing when it comes to character. Any any of Donald Trump's uh, people, creepy stalkers and drug addicts and uh, all that? Uh, there's, uh, as far as I know, and uh, his kids seem pretty good. Yeah, right? his kids are involved in his business and seem to be doing pretty well. And I'm sure if they he's weren't, not a spanker, not a spanker. Yeah, that that's out there too. He's uh, good he's definitely him. said that. And uh, I'm sure if there were problems, we'd be hearing about them as well. Considering yeah. we hear about you know vague comments that are published in books from 30 years ago, going off vague reports out of a divorce filing, um, and that becomes a mainstream news story. So yeah, it's uh, but you don't hear any of this about Jeb. Boy, that's interesting, isn't it? And he's supposed to be like the the guy, the establishment candidate for the Republican Party. And uh, granted, he's doing abysmal in the polls. But um, he started out pretty high, and this was not talked about at all. It's at the point where, like, I found this, and I'm just like, what now? No, this can't be true. This can't be true. It is true. Oh, and it's yeah. known. <laughs> it's known in the media. No one has repeated it on a national stage when he's running for president. No, right. I mean, if, if you remember, um, oh, what was uh, the, the black guy in the last election cycle who was accused of having Herman, Herman Cain, Cain yeah. right? Yeah, Homer Cain was accused of having these affairs because he wrote some nice inscription in some woman's book. Well, that was because they had to blow him out of the water so that you wouldn't have Obama, run, Obama running against the black, right? Mm-hmm. But, I mean, that, that's – but this other stuff with Jeff Bush doesn't show up? Doesn't, doesn't, doesn't show up, up at all. Doesn't show up at all. And, uh, wow. But, you know, it's very important that Trump apologizes to Jeb Bush's wife for, you know, not even bringing this stuff up, which, frankly, kind of fair game in this type of election, I got to say. Um, you you apologize to my wife for quoting my book about my love for my wife and her culture, because I don't I don't I I, I was a lie. <laughs> if my wife were from Mexico, I think I would have a soft spot for people from Mexico. That's what he said. This horrible thing. <laughs> well, on the list of terrible thing, things though. Donald Trump has said, I mean, he says worse before breakfast on average. I'm sure. <laughs> no, but this is what's so like when I think of the kids. When you grow up in a house where where there's that level of commitment to unreality, mm. I wrote this four years ago. You're quoting a milder version of it. You must apologize to my wife. Yeah. Like that's such a level of in psychotic unreality. Like that to me is like mentally ill to the nth degree. That is just so bizarrely outside of reality. Mm. Or, or wanting to lead a nation when you have completely screwed up as a father. Again, this is just so outside of reality. And that's the sense. When that guy's talking, I literally go to my tropical happy place. <laughs> you know, like I'm like <laughs> – I, I have to like I have to scratch my like I got marks on my cheeks like I have to scratch my cheeks to stay focused on his words uh, because I, I just feel like he's slowly scooping out my near frontal cortex with an ice cream bowl. But Steph, do you trust Donald Trump with the nuclear codes? Again, I. <laughs> oh, in this bit, so Donald Trump, you know, he he got pegged, he got pegged on on all these Middle Eastern names, right? They rattled off like a whole bunch of Middle Eastern names and asked him who they were. This was were, in an right? interview with Hugh Hewitt, who was one of the uh, the moderators. So it's like- seriously, seriously douchey move. Like, uh, and this the same thing happened with um, I think Bush, uh, George W. Bush. Uh, he was pinged with a whole bunch of foreign leaders' names, and and nobody knew who the hell they were. But somehow this was some great gotcha moment, right? Right. Which you know what but, that uh, stuff. If you're going to do it with everyone, okay. I mean, like, I if you're going to do it with everyone across the board, I think that's fine. But if you're just selectively doing against people that you've spoken negatively about in the past, oh yeah, that's, that's pretty abysmal. <laughs> I mean, okay, okay, guys, I'm going to try and be Donald Trump for a moment. You ready? Are you aware of uh, 
the Syrian rebel group, blah, 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 and their uh, leader, blah, 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 who has the plans to do blah, blah, blah in Times Square and blah, blah, blah. What do you think about that, Donald? Let me tell you how it is. Let me tell you how it is in this world. I don't need to know their names. They need to know my name. <laughs> that would have been the best answer to uh, that question. What the frick was happening at the end there? Who would you put on the $10 bill? <laughs> First of all, okay, history lesson 101. Oh, Republicans who are so anti-communist. Half of them said Rosa Parks. Rosa Parks was a communist. She was trained by communists. Nope, that's not acceptable the history. The whole Alabama bus riot was a whole communist thing. What? So stop praising communists and wanting to put communists on the $10 bill. <laughs> not politically correct, Steph. We can't talk about Rosa Parks and the actual history. We need to just pretend. It's just... She may be a communist with a halo, but if you move her head quickly, it's a hammer and sickle with blood dripping from it. <laughs> and they were doing that in the Ronald Reagan Museum. <laughs> To top it off. Oh, my God. <laughs> and why does everyone want to pick a fight with Putin? I mean, why? Why? Put, Russia is – who gives a shit about Russia? They're in such free-fall demographic decline. Just wait 20 minutes. The last Russian will be dead. <laughs> like, there's no need to fight Russia. Trust me. They're dipping their penises in vodka, killing all their sperm, and having sex with radiators. You don't have to worry about Russia for very long. <laughs> But yeah, Carly's, Carly. Carly's not on speaking terms with Putin, apparently, if she gets elected president. that oh, I, I, loved, I loved how she casually brought up the fact that she wants to escalate the relationship with, with Russia. That's what the U.S. needs right now. War with Russia. <laughs> yes. Oh, the number of places these guys wanted to invade. <laughs> Holy shit. I mean, this was like whack yourself off on a world map, pure hardcore warnography. <laughs> I mean, holy God almighty, do you people like masturbate with bazookas? What the hell is going on? Here's what, the list that I had. We need to go back into Iraq. I'd be happy to fight Russia. Iran, fuck you, we'll fight you too. Uh, Syria, yeah, well, I got boots on the ground back in Syria. Uh, I mean, dear God, I mean, I no wonder the world is just like, okay. Uh, uh, I'd like to point out, though, that the biggest warmonger on the stage was a woman. In this case. Oh, yeah. No, no. She definitely, she felt she needed to prove her street military ball clanging cred. I mean, there was no question about that. I mean, she was in Hewlett Packard, after all. That's what happened back there. Yeah. It's just like a hostile takeover, but, you know, with a little bit more clatter of small arms fire. I love this thing where I didn't even, I read this briefly, but when they were talking about, you know, we need to train Arabs to fight on the ground in Middle Eastern That's countries. That's worked out so well in the past. Yeah, Every other time the U.S. has done it, it's been great. I, I One day, at I, some point, the Arabs might decide to switch sides. No. Maybe. Oh, Who knows? Never, never happened, happened before. Bin Laden. ISIS. Syria. <laughs> Everyone else. And, and after $500 million spent by Obama, they have four or five troops. Now, to be fair, they are 1,400 feet tall and made entirely out of Meccano and have laser sharks shooting out of their eyeballs. So they are very cool troops, 100 million apiece, but oh my God. And unless those troops are made out of like that moving silver shit in Terminator 2, <laughs> that is not a good deal. <laughs> Bush on Iraq. He made this point, which is funny. He's like, when we pull back, talking about leaving Iraq. See, the problem wasn't that we went into Iraq and completely destabilized the region. I hate saying we, but the United States. He said, when we pull back, voids are created. 
created. Voids are created. So we just didn't fuck and it up enough. And those voids run That's... for office. That's me. Sorry. Sorry. <laughs> I wasn't sure if he was talking about Iraq as a metaphor like the rhythm method or something. You see, when we pull out voids, otherwise known as my children are created. <laughs> They're climbing through your bedroom window right now. But you see, when the Allied forces pulled back from Germany, voids were created as well. I mean, uh... Yeah, fortunately, those voids were filled with free markets and freedom. Mm. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. Do you remember when, uh, uh, when all of the, you know, when, when um, communist regimes fell around the world? Just massive voids created and everybody started boiling each other in cages. Just horrible. Oh, yeah, and Bush kept us safe. I like what Trump said. I don't feel that safe anymore. I don't feel that. The Bush, Bush kept us safe because for seven years there were no attacks on American soil. It's like, well, first of all, there were, but that's not really the point. Second, Fort Hood, right? But secondly, the reason why there were no attacks on U.S. soil, this can't bear repeating often enough, Americans, the reason why there were no attacks on the U.S. soil after Bush launched the attacks on Afghanistan and Iraq is because he was doing exactly what al-Qaeda wanted him to do. That is, that's like saying my, my, my enemy in a firefight has shot himself. And then they say, well, you know what? He stopped shooting at him. Yes, because he shot himself. So I don't need to do it anymore. Well, it's tough. It's even worse than that. Um, George W. kept us safe. You do know that 9-11 happened while he was president, right? I mean, mm-hmm. come on, Jeff. <laughs> he kept us safe, you know, except for the biggest terrorist attack on U.S. soil in eternity. Yes, and then the whole domino that thing that happened count. out of Iraq and, and Afghanistan and, and the creation of the drug pipelines with the poppy fields in Afghanistan and then the creation of al-Qaeda, the strengthening of ISIS, the pouring in uh, from Syria and Iran of fighters against America, the $2 trillion, which is going to be like five or six when all is said and done, the thousands of Americans dead, the tens of thousands wounded, the hundreds of thousands of Iraqis killed, the entire destabilization of the regime, and the swarming of of hundreds of thousands of migrants into Europe. Other than that, great job. Oh, I got another great Bushism. Please that. stop keeping us safe. <laughs> stop. Stop helping, Jeb. Stop helping. I can't, I can't take any more safety. Go write more books, please. Oh my. Um, Bush uh, on immigration was saying, you know, we need to secure the border, but building a wall and deporting people is too expensive. It, like that, that was the summary of his point. So we need to secure the border. Are you expecting force fields? Like, what, what is exactly the plan here? No, my <laughs> theory... So multicultural, I believe Klingons will help. My theory is that he's going to use Jedi mind tricks. This is not oh, the country you're looking Jedi for. Jedi mind tricks. <laughs> Jedi. <laughs> this is not the freedom you're... This is not the welfare you're looking for. <laughs> and then Carly well, right around South, that time. Go. <laughs> Sorry? Carly around that time, too, was because um, Trump brought up, you know, oh, the reason we're talking about immigration right now is because I made it a big issue. And uh, Carly then came out and said, you know, we've been talking. The Republicans have been talking about immigration for 25 years. We've been talking about it. It's like, OK, you've been giving it lip service. No one has seriously made a plan or said they're going to do, uh, you know, they're really going to secure the border. Here's my plan and base their entire campaign off it. But, you know, we've us politicians, us 
people in kind of the political class. And yes, folks, Carly is a little more than just, uh, you know, she was an entrepreneur. I mean, she's a politico. She worked for John McCain's campaign. She ran for Senate, I believe. Um, so she's she's been involved in this for quite a while. It's not like she's some outsider or anything. She's like, you know, we've been talking about immigration for 25 years. It's like, yes, yes, the American people know you've been talking about it. They want someone who's actually going to follow up on it based on all the polling information available. So... <laughs> That's kind of the Donald's point, and one of the reasons why he's so successful right now, because people think he's actually going to do something that the people want, for once. Oh, uh, I have another issue with uh, the comment she made, is the fact that she said, we've been talking about it for 25 years, while talking about it and not proposing anything. So <laughs> you're actually exacerbating the problem, Carly. Did she Please. propose anything about immigration? Yeah. I couldn't remember. She's, um, I think she's taken him the task on the birthright citizenship thing. She's not, you know, strong on, you know, we need to build a wall, that type of stuff. She might you know, be the, the, heading that direction based on polling numbers, and like, that's the popular thing to do. But No, but she keeps talking about immigration and talking about how people continue to talk about immigration without doing anything and not seeing the contradiction in that. But, oh, well. Yeah, that's the why a real estate guy and a theme. neurosurgeon are the two leading Republican candidates. It might have something to do with that. Yeah. No, the uh, and the birthright citizenship thing, too, um, has never been tested in a court. It actually arose out of a, a non-legally binding footnote in some other judgment that said something or other that could be interpreted. And of course, the Democrats jumped all over it because it allows them to appeal to their Hispanic base and import more Democrats and all that kind of stuff. So um, the idea that this is any kind of law um, is, uh, you know, the only way that you're a U.S. citizen is if your parents are legal when you're born. If you're if they're not legal, you're not a U.S. citizen. That's very clear. So you have to be subject to the laws of the United States. You have to be part of the social fabric of the United States in order to give birth to a citizen in the country. There's no way. Anyway, so I'm completely with Trump on that. Well, the the author of the 14th Amendment actually said, and they, they mentioned this, um, on the Senate floor, the author of it said it was meant for slaves. That's why only for slaves. So now, (laughs) I don't know how other people, Mexicans and such, are uh, in the same category. I don't know. And what is the problem? What is this weird thing where people just want to like snort irrational hope and and consider that a strategy? You know, the great thing about Reagan is it was really hopeful, and and you know, whereas Trump's saying no, the world is a mess, and people know that the world is a mess. They're not stupid. They know that they don't have any jobs. They know that their house is worth less than the ground it's built on. They know that their incomes have been declining. They know they're living paycheck to paycheck. They read the news about what's happening in the world. Optimism does not allow you to reverse gravity. It's called (laughs) insanity. You know, like, I don't know. Okay, the wings have been torn off, but I'm optimistic we can land this thing into that volcano that's right below us. I mean, there is a time where you need to panic. and, And Trump is masterfully bringing about the necessary panic that occurs when there's a big shift in the, in the in society. Well, people feel you like know, they've been lied to and finally get something. Yeah, they, they hate they feel, politics. Whether rightly or wrongly, that he's at least being frank with them um, about what he feels and what he thinks. So, I mean, I think that's a huge part of his appeal right now. It's the first yeah, politician you know, that doesn't when, sound when, immediately uh, like a politician. When, when, when half the football team is out with cholera, cheerleaders don't let you win. They don't make you win the match, right? It's just pointing out that, no, the world is a mess. And I like that, um, that Frank. I think that's what people are really responding to. The other thing, too, I'm not sure that it's particularly fair to ask the people not in government for all the details of their foreign policy initiatives because they have no security clearance. 
See, the people in the government who are senators, who are congressmen, who are governors, they have security clearance. What that means, this is for all the moderators and everyone else, what that means, you see, is they have access to infinitely more information unless they want to spend $500,000 to get all Hillary Clinton's emails from that hacker, right? They have access to infinitely more information about what's going on in the world and what America's stance is than the non-politicians. And the fact that, you know, wouldn't you say, hey, you're asking me for answers when I don't have the information. I do not have security clearance. And so uh, obviously that's going to be very important for me. But you're, you're, you're trying to give me some even playing field with other people who have massive amounts of security clearance when I don't. And neither does Carly Fiorina and neither do the other people who aren't uh, in government at the moment. And um, it just seems weird that that's never mentioned to me. Yeah, that's a really great point. And uh, this this idea too that you need to be like you need to be the master of everything. Uh, we've we've kind of talked about that when talking about a free market and a free society and that type of thing. It's like if you start talking about these ideas to people, they're like, "Well, if if we didn't have a government or we had a real minarchist government, a really small government, like who would handle this? How, how would the roads be built? How would this?" And it's like, I don't know. The collective genius of everyone on the planet in a free market situation would figure out what people wanted and what their preferences were, and uh, there'd probably be many different types of things. But asking one guy to have all the answers is an argument for a dictatorship. And I know that the president of the United States. Is bordering on. It's getting kind of yeah, imperial, but it's, it's, it's not a dictator. It's, we're, we're getting there, but still, it's just like you know, Trump. I think he said um, when uh, Hewitt in that kind of gotcha interview asked him all those names about terrorists. He's just like you know, I'm I'm a delegator. Like I will find competent people that this is their thing. You know, this is their thing that they do, and trust their judgment. I'll get good people around me, and um, you know rely on them. And I mean, that's what smart people do. You can't do everything yourself. There's a thing called the division of labor. And I think if you're competent, that also applies to, you know, this type of thing. If you're trying to run a country, um, uh, you, you can't be an expert economist while at the same time understanding climate issues, while at the same time understanding every foreign policy implication. I mean, you're going to need some help for Christ's sakes. And knowing someone that's been successful at delegating in the past, yeah, that would be a quality that uh, I'd want over someone who can study up on the back of note cards and pretend like they know a bunch of shit that when stuff hits the fan, it's like, oh, no one's wrote it on my note card. What do I do? Well, and, and to, just for those who don't know, Mike has what's colloquially called at Freedom and Radio the, the delegation taser. And what he does is he, he often will sense when I'm about to edit something. Like, uh, Mike, I think it's a great idea for no. me to edit this. Brack, 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 burns! <laughs> And then I have an erection for four days. Anyway. <laughs> Thank you, everyone, for your donations. I now have, like, laser-activated missiles that I can point at Steph's crotch when he starts doing something I don't want to do. He's getting close to a keyboard. <laughs> <laughs> it's not a camera. Fire. Also, also one, one other thing, maybe a bit more controversial, but, oh, my God. This, just, this is the advice that no one will ever ask me for, but this is the advice that I would give to people. And I think Donald Trump gets this. Okay. Oh, politicians, let me tell you something. The American people don't care about Israel as much as you think they do. <laughs> no kidding. I'm a friend of Israel. I really, you know, for a lot of people, that's not good. A lot of people think there's way too much pandering to Israel in American foreign policy. It's kind of hard to argue against them in a lot of ways. <laughs> so you might want to shut up. I know you're talking to a particular group of people, but... Rhymes with news. But but the average American person is not waking up every day saying, 
Okay, uh, I owe $400,000 in student loans. Uh, my house's value is a smoking crater the size of that big old ass one in Arizona. I haven't had a job. Uh, my welfare is going to get cut off. My unemployment is going to get cut off. But I, you know, the rest of that pales in significance as to whether or not Israel has the most advanced weaponry at the moment. Yeah. Well, the culmination yeah. of uh, that pandering to Israel was uh, Carly Fiorina mentioning her good friend, Bibi, referring to Bibi. Benjamin Netanyahu. Oh, I missed that. <laughs> <laughs> Bibi. She called him Bibi. Well, they, they, I think Huckabee and um, a few others did as well in their closing, where it's just like, all right, you've been, I think the question was, you've been president. Like, what is, what is the world going to be like after your presidency kind of thing? And a lot of people are like, Israel. And it's like, Israel's not in the United States. But I know they write a lot of screenplays, but still, there are American people who aren't Jewish who might like to get some of your attention as well. You see, and Uzbekistan's going to be great after I'm president. Well, that's nice, you see. Hey, man, what's wrong with Iceland? Nobody ever talks about protecting Iceland. <laughs> anyway. Stuff gets very uh, uppity when you start mentioning Iceland. It's, uh, yeah. <laughs> Ice privilege, but uh, no, I just, I just, you know, I mean, I, I, it just seems to be one of these things that American politicians have to do. But it is a red flag for a lot of people in America. I mean, do, do, does everyone think that they're only interested in the Middle East because of oil? It's not really just the oil. Mm -hmm. uh, and a lot of people don't like the fact that uh, you know hundreds of billions of dollars go over to Israel every year from a country that's increasingly impoverished itself and is starting to look at toenail clippings as a source of soup. Uh, so anyway, I just it, it just struck me as a real disconnect, and I think that's a Washington thing. I think that's a politics thing, where it's just like you know what well, we have to you know we just have to talk about being pro Israel, and um, I you know singling out that country again. Only democracy in the Middle East, lot to be said for it, but average American person, uh, you know, get back to immigration. The other thing too. Okay, oh my God, oh God. I mean, I said this in the notes when we were chatting a couple of times back and forth during the debate, but it's like, here's an important question. What would you cut to balance the budget? No, we don't need to talk about that. That's not important. No, we don't need we to don't mention need to we're $16.3 trillion in national debt. Don't need to mention that. That doesn't include unf unfunded liabilities either. And uh, <laughs> you know, it's like, we don't need to talk about that. What's your spirit animal, Jeb Bush? You tell me. I'm very <laughs> Jesus. I think it's the Terminator. Oh, I don't, that's, I don't hey, uh, Ben Carson, if, if you were on a stamp, would the other side be infused with quaaludes? Of... <laughs> so that when people licked it, they anyway, could imitate you. Now, <laughs> if someone stole your stamp, would you shoot them or would you wait for backup? <laughs> I'd call for backup. <laughs> um, but, but no, I mean, like, wouldn't that be... Yeah, yeah, yeah. We eliminate the IRS. We're going to invade every country I can throw a dart at on a map. And... But isn't the biggest issue right now, how about talking about fiat currency, gold standard, Federal Reserve, uh, something to do with uh, what would you cut to balance the budget? The only thing they talked about cutting was Donald Trump's Social Security. Oh, man, I was, um, was kind of bugging out for a second because okay, Rand Paul gets asked the question, all right, what, um, what woman would you put on the $10 bill? And first off, his name is Rand. His name is Rand for a reason. He was named after Ayn Rand. Uh, that's disputed. Is that? That's disputed, uh, yeah. I mean... As far as I understand it, that's disputed, but it doesn't matter. The, the, dad's, his dad's a big fan. Yeah. I, I mean, I don't know. I'm comfortable going out on that limb. But Ryan um, Franz hated, so if you're a politician, you probably don't want to say that too often. But, uh, I mean, I, was, I thought that would 
potentially be his answer. But a, an even better answer would have been, uh, how about we get the government out of um, the monopoly of controlling the currency to begin with, so we don't run into situations where right now where the entire global financial system is hinging on Janet Yellen's decision. Are we going to raise the interest rates? Are we going to get another round of quantitative easing in September? I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. Am I going to have a pension tomorrow? I have no idea. That would have been a great answer as opposed to – Or how about this? What the hell he said? What would you what, – what would I put on a $10 bill? I'd put an ounce of gold on a $10 bill, and then I'd take the $10 bill and wipe my ass with it because that's all it's good for. <laughs> well, you know, that at least would be – I mean, there's the platform. A lot of people watching. Trump got the conversation started about immigration, regardless of what you think about it. But um, – it would have been great to see Rand Paul, who I know has been exposed to this information. I mean, I'm sure he's had these conversations over the dinner table with his father about fiat currency and the gold standard and um, the problems with the central bank and Federal Reserve. And he could have got that conversation going. And man, if there's something, uh, there's got to be some some type of issue that you really take the lead on to get any type of real popularity and momentum behind yeah. you. I mean, Ben Carson is just kind of like the not Donald Trump candidate right now but he's nice and he's not a politician you know like he, he kind of fills that demo not donald trump seems kind of nice and i don't feel guilty i, I like him, for him. Like, i like him despite everything i mean these guys there was no shortage of of charisma but sorry go ahead yeah but it's he could have really taken the lead on this issue and he, he did um you know he was really speaking out against a drug war in his back and forth with um with christie which was probably the most enthused and interesting i found rand during the entire um presidential series frankly because he's he's kind of been just he's vanished you know i you never hear about him you never hear him doing anything the last debate he came off so terribly when he immediately started going after trump it was just kind of a like have a little he's down to one percent yeah he's doing really badly and um and what he's been doing hasn't worked. And, you know, I think he did a lot better tonight as far as getting attention and talking about uh, stuff. That, well, nothing, nothing to nothing to distinguish him. Oh, no, nothing where you say, OK, this guy I want to find out more about. Yeah. You know, he's, fair, he's talking about states rights when it comes to marijuana, medical marijuana. He's not even going like I'm going to end the drug war kind of thing, which I believe is something he's talked about in the past. But, uh, yeah, you think that would have been a good opportunity to maybe uh, go for it. And there was, I know he's there was exposed issue. to this information. There was one issue for, on which he distinguished himself, at least for me. I want to be fair to the guy. Uh, birthright citizenship. He gave the best, the best answer. He was, he, he was the most well-prepared candidate out of all of them on the subject. But not compelling. You know, I mean, having the right information is not enough. You have to go and own that stage. You have to grab that stage by the balls and not let it go. And... Um, he he just he does not have the um, the uh, focus and the intangible the X factor right the, the the charisma the the intensity the the passion the you know the the people who you follow off a cliff you know like it or not he, he did that's why I think Donald Trump says you know I can understand the appeal of his father but the gene didn't carry right yeah well, and, and defined, he defined no, himself right. as the anti-Trump candidate. In other words, he'd be going after Donald Trump as opposed to promoting the ideas that he espouses. And instead of doing that, he just keeps going after Trump with uh, offhand comments and nasty remarks instead of promoting the ideas that I'm sure even his father stands behind. Okay, I got some Rand Paul stuff that I do want to talk about because he said a couple things in the days before the debate which I thought were pretty nasty um, that I just want to bring out. Um, he... 
yeah, he's he's not talking about what he's for. He's talking about Donald Trump not being a real conservative. Um, all right, this is what he said. Um, if someone is presenting himself as something he's not, it's important that that's exposed. You have to point out the faults of the leader if you want to be the leader. He was for the president's stimulus plan. He was for Obamacare. He's for the bank bailout, and it's running through positions that Donald may or may not have held when he wasn't a politician, um, trying to get along with people. Um, let's see. I think when voters fully grasp who he is and what he supports, they'll run away with their hair on fire. Um, the message hasn't penetrated yet that Donald Trump isn't one of us, Paul argued. He's barely a Republican. He's been a Democrat. He's a huge supporter of Harry Reid, Charlie Rangel. He went on. He said, he's the consummate insider, buying and selling politicians. Well, according to an article in the St. Luke, uh, St. Lake Tribune in 2014, Trump gave $10,000 to Rand Paul <laughs> to support his political <laughs> efforts. Oh, dear. Yeah, buying and selling politicians. I know, because he purchased me. <laughs> you know, that, that doesn't work. You know, that, that <laughs> prostitute down the street is a filthy bag of, oh, 250 bucks. Okay, I'm in. <laughs> and uh, then, okay, so on Tuesday before the debate, he said, I think he deserves both barrels. They were talking about going after him kind of thing. Um, and Rand said, I think he deserves both barrels. I want to make sure everyone in the whole country knows that he's a fake conservative. I was supposed to see a quote kind of floating around about him saying something about a shotgun. Like, I'm going to take a shotgun approach or something like that. I haven't, I don't have that in front of me right now, and that's not completely confirmed. But it's something in that, you know, I'm going to go full barrel at him. And Wednesday, today, of the day of the debate, he was at a gun range shooting, uh, I think he shot the tax code or something at a gun range, and he was discussing Trump. And it's like, you know, I got to say, after talking about going after someone with both barrels and the next day you're at a gun range and you're still talking about Trump, there's some imagery there that's kind of, uh, don't do that. I mean, like, I mean, I, I think that's a lot worse than Donald Trump calling someone frumpy or fat or look at that face or something. You, uh, and you, you cannot win by attacking the leader. You cannot win by attacking the leader. The only way you can win if there's someone so far out ahead is to get out ahead of the guy who's ahead. In other words, find an issue that Donald Trump has to prevaricate on, that he has to be a wimp on, and seize that issue and bring it to the, to the American public. And that issue is the Federal Reserve. The American public, I'm not saying all of them, right? And I know we have our view from the show that we do. The American public is really interested in the Federal Reserve. And there are a lot of knowledgeable people out there. I mean, his father has written entire books on this that have been read, written, uh, read by hundreds of thousands, if not millions of people. Well, why was his father so to, popular? It's because he yeah, was one of the people that to, was talking about this he, stuff. He needs to get out ahead and he needs to say, we need to talk about And he needs to do this in a debate. We need to talk about the Federal Reserve. He, you know, if I were there... I had said, basically, I can't believe that we are talking about vaccinations. I can't believe that we have intelligent, educated, experienced people up here in terms of national politics. And we're talking about medical policies, medical discredited medical policies and procedures like vaccinations causing autism. How about the fact that we can only have all these wars and we have all of this debt because of the federal goddamn reserve? Because we have no control over our currency. Because the people are bought and sold like chicks at a chicken farm. Because we have this bizarre drug that we can expand the power of the state without raising the taxes directly of the people. Whether the, the power of the state is complete, completely decoupled 
from the control of the people. And we're out here talking about climate change and what we'll do if we get mad at Putin and what we'll do you be on uh, the $10 with vaccines. Bill and, what's your and who will put on the $10 bill? Code name. <laughs> yeah, we, we are not talking about the foundation of the expansion of imperial power in the empire at the moment, which is fiat currency, less than 100 years old, already caused, caused more than two world wars. This is the foundation of why the American public is so disconnected from politics, because the politicians can do whatever they want without having to raise people's taxes because they borrow, uh, they put uh, all of these uh, bonds out there, and they print money, which shows up 18 months later as inflation, and not one person in a thousand knows where it came from, and certainly not among the poor who were the hardest hit by it. So let's put all this bullshit aside and let's talk about what actually matters in this country, which is the control of the currency, the control of the people, and the end of the republic. Yep. Absolutely. I'd like to see Rand Paul doing well uh, talking about these ideas on a grand stage should. with He's 25 million people watching. I mean, that would be fantastic. Because people would go like, whoa, Federal Reserve, gold standard, what? then click, 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 right? I mean, he's got nothing to lose. The only way to beat Trump is you've got to – the way that Trump is beating everyone is with immigration, and Trump is harder on immigration than everyone else. So you've got to go on something that even Donald Trump is uncomfortable with. That's the Federal Reserve. That's your only chance. Does it mean you win? I doubt it, but you sure as hell aren't going to lose for sure like what's happening. And that would be my advice to him. What a fantastic situation. You're in front of 25 fucking million people. 25 million people, you can talk to them about fiat currency in the Federal Reserve. And you won't get the whole point across because you got 60 seconds, if you're lucky, before Carly Fiorina jumps in your earball. She interrupted like, I think, nine times someone was counting. She won. <laughs> yeah, I saw the chart. She won the interruption contest. Um, but, but you got 25 or 30 million people and tens of millions more who were going to – what a chance to bring this to the light. And I'd say, look, you're not going to understand the whole issue. Google, like just Google Federal Reserve, gold standard, fiat currency, understand our entire system is built on debt, slavery, and exploitation. And if we're not talking about that, we're not talking about anything. Oh, we got served up the perfect opportunity with that. Who do you want to see in the $10 bill question at the end, too? Yep. Perfect opportunity yep. to talk about it. And also, you know, he went back and forth with Christie regarding medical marijuana and, um, you know, the federal versus state rights when it comes to drug enforcement. And that was something that uh, I'm surprised no one pressed Trump on. Trump didn't comment on that issue in the confines of the debate. And I know his brother died of alcoholism, and he's very anti-drug and anti-alcohol. He's a total teetotaler um, because of that. And I know in the past that he has given some vague, and at past I don't mean within this election cycle, I mean like years ago, talked something about drug legalization. I mean, I... God, I would talk to him on that. You know, you want to talk about states' rights versus the federal stuff. Trump is, uh, you know, I'm the most militaristic president that there'll ever be. You know, he's he's obviously someone who's for a lot of federal power and a lot of power in the presidency. So maybe you could have went states' rights versus federal government rights with Trump. At least that's something that uh, you have a really good argument to make regarding, as opposed to, you know, you declared bankruptcy or whatever the oh, hell God. happened. I mean, like that's, you know. <laughs> It's, it's frustrating to see people that um, do have some interesting things to say, to add to the national discussion, that aren't learning from their mistakes. I mean, every single person that has attacked Trump with the, like, you know, he's not a conservative, he's been a Democrat, they had, their numbers have plummeted, plummeted. You know, like, that doesn't work right now. Has, have you seen Carson attack Trump a lot? Carson's danced around any potential criticism of Trump, because if you're not going to beat him, at least angle for a VP spot. 
Yeah, and he's he actually um, he did slip up. He was asked recently, uh, like, what differentiates you from Donald Trump? And he said something to the effect of like, well, I'm I'm religious. It was the way he said it, like, it, you know, it's kind of insulting saying, like, you know, I'm really religious, Donald Trump. Well, not so much. It uh, was more plain, you know, in Ben Carson <laughs> speak than that. But, uh, you know, it's, it's kind of an offensive thing to say to somebody. And yeah. with without any evidence, because I think Trump responded and said, like, I don't really know Ben Carson. He doesn't know me. He doesn't know my religious beliefs. What's he commenting on this for? Um, but other than that, he hasn't said you know anything negative, and he's doing great. You know, this guy's popular for yeah. a reason. Try to understand why, and uh, you know, make that work for you. There's certainly things that people like Rand Paul could bring to this discussion on such a big stage. It just it isn't happening, and it's it's frustrating to see as someone who would like some of these conversations to take place. Well, yeah, and this this idea, somebody needs to bring this up, boy. If you really want to get, I tell you. The, the, only in Washington and only among politicians do people th- say things like America needs to be the world's leader. Mm. And and what, what happens is people feel their financial scrotums shivel up and crawl back up their spine. How much is this going to cost me? Yeah, like whenever, you know, do I just like fucking cut, cut out my kidney and mail it to you now? Like, like do, you just, do I just put my kid in a blender and send you the bucket? Because when, when the politicians get all grandiose about we're the shining city on the hill, we gotta we gotta show the world, lead the world, and be the world's leader and the you know, world's policeman, and it's just like, oh fuck, stop, stop. We have eighteen trillion dollars of debt in America. They would say uh, we have hundreds of bill- uh, trillions of dollars of unfunded liabilities. The world is going in the shitter, and we've kind of been on this gig for the last seventy years, right? We've kind of been doing this for the last seventy plus years. And this is what's this is how it's ended up. You know, Europe is is racked with debt and and, uh, the uh, demography uh, and reproduction rates are falling apart. Uh, Islam is aggressively expanding. Uh, The Middle East has been wildly destabilized. Uh, Africa still remains a crap hole of infinite uh, mess. And, uh, you know, maybe maybe we got to stop, you know, maybe we got to start solving problems at home. Maybe we got to start spending all this money on foreign wars and a massive military and massive intervention all over the place. Maybe we've got to start spending so much money on foreign policy. Maybe like because your grandiosity is literally killing us financially, emotionally and physically. So this, you know, America's got to be the world's leader. And it's like your insane megalomania is creating oceans of blood to sweep and surge back and forth across the world. And it's time to stop. Yep. Beautifully put. And nobody is, nobody's going to make that speech because I don't know why. I mean, isn't this an obvious thing? I know that, uh, um, Rand Paul and, and Ron Paul are Ron Paul in particular, very non-interventionist and very, you know, yeah, let's, let's be isolationists. I like that. Uh, that sounds wonderful. Uh, because out there, be messed, right? I mean, if if there are tigers uh, outside the house, I'm happy to be an isolationist inside my house. And um, the the idea that there's that that somehow that they're leading, I think Americans are so unbelievably empire weary, and that is is like such a a powerful hot issue. And again, if I if I were Rand Paul, I'd be hitting the Federal Reserve, but I'd really be hitting the empire weariness. Americans are so exhausted and beaten up and and this happened late in the european empires as well the people are just so heartily sick of the empire and the grandiosity and megalomania and people don't mind an empire if there are some benefits you, you know, know so if early they have on, a job yeah. 
Yeah, or or if they're even willing to 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 say, okay, like like we did this uh, this presentation, still going to come out on colonialism. Okay, I'll pay twenty five percent more taxes for the empire, but at least we're making the world a better place. You know, at least Africa's becoming civilized. At least the Middle East is becoming more peaceful. At least we did actually achieve democracy from trillions of dollars of blood and treasure in Iraq. At least, right? But what happens? What's happening now is is the 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 morality of the empire doesn't even stand the most casual of scrutinies. The, the sustainability and virtue of the empire has completely fallen apart. And that's because of the internet and because of people like us and people who work very hard to bring the correct information to people, the actual facts. It's not going through the media filter. People are so empire exhausted. They are burned out on leading the world because all that happens is, you know, the leader, they don't get a pat on the back. They get an arrow up the ass. And uh, they're just so weary of it. And these guys, they just, I think that was the most out of touch. And and to Donald Trump's credit, I mean, he wasn't, you know, thump, 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 let's go uh, take on the world. Um, but uh, I think people are radically underestimating. Uh, I think they think they need to beat their chests, but I think that's so last century, or at least since the crash in particular, and the unprocessed unbelievable disaster of America in the Middle East. Uh, th- this has been the most disastrous intervention the Middle East has seen in over 100 years. And Lord knows there's been a few. And this this absolutely unprocessed, everyone's just keeping moving forward. Like it's only been two or three years since the Americans withdrew and the entire uh, of that section of the world has turned into a literally genocidal, murderous crap pit of the ninth layer of hell. And... That is so unprocessed, and I think that a real politician, a real leader, could help the people process that and say, hey, I wasn't responsible for it, but we really need to look at what happened, and we need to stop this from happening again, and there's no way to do that without staying home. And, you know, speaking of which, that's another thing that wasn't brought up. Everything's happening in the Middle East right now. It's happening in Germany, the migrant crisis. Kind of a topical, relevant question to ask these guys, and uh, Carly, and, uh, no. No, no one asked about it, but we heard about vaccines. We didn't hear about female... And medical marijuana. Like, this is some huge issue. (laughs) Well, let me just get to say this vaccine point. We're talking about vaccines, and we're not even talking about how SSRI usage amongst pregnant women seems to have a link to increased rates of autism. That's something you don't hear talked about much at all, and no one on the stage brought it up. But that's that's something might be worth uh, getting out in front of 25 million people. That didn't happen. And uh, no talk about the migrant crisis. You know, no talk and about you know why they won't they won't talk about SSRIs because if they do, they will never be allowed on a network again. They uh, well, and a lot of these guys directly. Actually, I've, I've read some stuff that Carson actually has received quite a bit of money from pharmaceutical companies um, as, as far as backing his campaign, and I'm sure he's not the only one that's uh, getting a lot of pharmaceutical company money for uh, donations. So, and, and just for those who don't know what I meant by that, because it was a bit of an oblique comment, billions of dollars are spent by pharmaceutical companies advertising mind-altering drugs, the SSRIs, the psychotropics, uh, on network TV. And uh, if uh, any anyone really pisses off um, the pharmaceutical companies, uh, they will not be allowed back on network television. So this is another reason why that topic just doesn't come up. Yeah, I was watching the CNN online stream, so I, I didn't see the commercials, but I imagine there was probably a few pharmaceutical commercials they were paying their, uh, I read, 150000 uh and up for a 30-second spot for this thing. Uh, you know, probably a few pharmaceutical companies buying those ads and putting money in the coffers of CNN. They don't want to piss those people off. 
So that's most of what I wanted to say. Again, I thought it was too long. And uh, it is kind of fragmented and a bit schizophrenic. You know, it's it's like trying to look at a beautiful painting uh, through a kaleidoscope. You just can't. I'm not saying that the thoughts are a beautiful painting. It's just trying to focus on anything uh, when there's some glass shard kaleidoscope going around your eyeball it just get a little frustrating but i'm certainly glad that uh, i watched it it's very illuminating to see the zeitgeist of where the republican party is and and what's going on in people's minds well before we before we close up there's a couple people that we haven't talked about much that i just want to kind of give the general thoughts on i'd be curious how you guys experienced them during the debate um I, I thought Ted Cruz from like a mainstream performance level did really well. See, I think he kind of like owned most of the debate with his answers. Agreed. Very polished, very, you know, the quote presidential term. I thought it kind of faded into the background in some of the previous ones. And I know he's been a lot of people's favorite. And I thought he did really good tonight as far as getting his points across and really, you know, making making good use of the time he was afforded. Yeah, I thought he was. I thought he was okay. A bit too polished for me. I, I thought Cruz's passion was. Uh, oh, sorry, Rubio's passion was really good. Um, well, with Rubio, the problem is every story that he has starts with you know, my mother was a, my father was a, my great grandparents yeah, was a, my father, <laughs> the only Hispanic who liked Reagan. Right. <laughs> <laughs> like, I get it. Your family has a history. Can we hear some yeah. more stories? Oh, he's 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 also incredibly polished. I mean, him and uh, Carly as well. It's just like. Okay, now we're getting on talking point time. I've rehearsed this in front of a mirror 40,000 times. Uh, Jeb, you'd see Jeb kind of falling into that as well, um, in between bursts of him just being horrifically nervous and kind of stumbling over himself. You know, they're like... Oddly passive-aggressive at times, too, but anyway. You know. he's, he's like that teacher that you... He's like that teacher who seems really nice, but you're still afraid to ask for an extension. You just don't know if he's going to... Anyway. <laughs> the most human that he's looked in this entire thing, and he hasn't looked a whole lot of human, was that uh, that joke about smoking pot and his mom not liking it. It's like, wow, that you seem like an actual human being with that conversation. That's... Well, he, he seemed, mothers? Okay. <laughs> he, he seemed quite human when he got offended uh, by the comments made towards uh, George W., he, he got really, really annoyed. Don't talk about my brother. I'll beat you up. Put your in, in a sort of 12-year-old kind of way, he got, he got it's a bad idea. It's a bad idea for him to refer to George W. as his brother and his father and his brother and his father. I just think that is not what the American public wants to hear because it just reminds everyone that uh, he's, such, he's such a consummate insider. And, uh, well, they call you know, it the elephant the in the room. You know, yeah. you know, your brother, the elephant in the room. It's why he's using Jeb exclamation point on all his campaign materials and Bush is nowhere to be seen. It's like, wow, you're part of a political dynasty and you don't want to use your last name. And the Bush, Bush is nowhere to be seen. Does he think he's campaigning in Brazil? <laughs> <laughs> anyway, <go on. laughs> hey, come on, my that was a good one. <laughs> And uh, I I always in these things get a kick out of Huckabee. I mean, like Huckabee's always around. It seems like he's been in like every presidential election for the, until the dawn of time. And he, yeah. he always comes out with his southern folksy preacher uh, comedy routine. And, uh, you know, probably not a good use of time overall for the Republican Party to be having Huckabee, who's never going to win anything and doesn't pull at all well he's that slope showed a deputy dog guy right yeah, <laughs> yeah. That, that's deputy dog Ooh. yes i think he's the cheerleader amongst the who who is the douchebag i can't even remember who it was was it was it rubio the ultimate douchebag who started off by saying oh i've heard that in california 
Oh, there's a water crisis. A water shortage. So I brought my own bottle of water. Rubio. Holy tone deaf. Oh my god. You know? I thought it was a funeral, so I bought my own little coffin in case any small people died. <laughs> oh my god. Please. Please. Who's advising don't. these people in writing their comedy? Just don't. don't. Oh my god. Don't do it. Don't do it. I I thought I heard you were fighting zombies, so I I bought a bucket of dead flesh. No, I, I think he should fire whoever wrote that joke, and if it was himself, just don't don't even. Oh man! Well, bad. I I brought my own water. Ah, oh, because nothing says funny like crippling drought and dying economies and dead farms and despairing people. Oh. Uh, okay, off, off Rubio in the water. There's there's one guy that I don't think we've even mentioned his name in this entire conversation, which is illustrative of just how useless he was. Well, Huckabee? No, I just brought up Huckabee, Deputy Dog. Um, oh, sorry. The, well, Case? I, I never can remember that guy's name. He's just Ohio John Governor. Cassidy. But, okay. uh, Cassidy. No, he's not who I'm talking about. Scott Walker. Okay. Scott Walker, who was supposed to be doing... I mean, people were very excited about Scott Walker and his candidacy. And, you know, frankly, I'm kind of interested in Scott Walker just from the sense that he actually did have the cojones to stand up to the teachers union in Wisconsin, which, you know, that was a huge news story at the time and, you know, took some significant stones. It's like, okay, you're standing up to the teachers union and saying no mas, you know, more. that's, you know, kudos to you. There's not many people willing to take those bullets and do that kind of stuff. But, oh my God, has he been completely irrelevant? And I can't remember a single thing that he said. He completely faded into the background the entire conversation conversation. His numbers are in the toilet. Why do you even bother? I mean, why do you even, I don't know who's advising him or what his thought process is, but the guy's been such a non-entity when he was, uh, you know, initially people were talking like he might actually take the thing. Yeah. So, well, I, I think what happens is uh, that uh, when people start to lose, they start to panic. And when they start to panic, they think that playing it safe is the way to stay in the race. And that is absolutely not the case. You know, you if you're behind in a running race, you know, keeping a steady pace just means you lose even more. Uh, you absolutely have to grit your teeth and give it everything you've got. And they're not – maybe he's biding his time for the next one or whatever it is. But uh, maybe he – I don't know if the Dean scream made everyone afraid to show passion or something. But um, you need to just get yourself uh, a um, – uh, you need to get yourself a uh, an issue – Donald Trump did it. You know, how did he blow himself into the national prominence? By talking about immigration. And you, there's tons of stuff that the American people are desperate to talk about uh, that uh, people aren't talking about. Like, how about the fact that there's no money in Social Security? I'm sorry? It's not like there's a whole lot of politicians that have been giving the voters that what they said they give them and what they've wanted over the course of the years, which is why we have anti-establishment candidates doing so well. There's lots of stuff you can pick from. Pick it out of a hat. Pick an issue. Pick something that's going to resonate with the American people. Yeah, there's lots of uh, lots of um, lots of issues that they could take. They need to take an issue, and they, as I said, they need to take an issue that either Donald Trump is weak in, in that he's been compromised in some manner in the past, or he himself is afraid to go full tilt boogie on. And um, you need to grab that, and you need to give it all you've got. Will that be the end of your political career if it doesn't work out? I don't know. Maybe maybe they're just addicted to power, and they just rather stay somewhere near the circle of power than go for the gold. But to me, if you're in the presidential race, you better be going for the gold. And uh, if you're not losing, you need to bring a hell of a lot more to the game. And uh, this idea of playing it safe and, you know, maybe you'll get something in, uh, 
um, you know, you'll be head of some department or, or, or some ministry or or maybe you'll save it for next time or whatever. That's, I mean, that's why I'm not in politics for that and six million other reasons. But I just would not be able, like, uh, you, you've just got to go all the way, give it everything you've got. And if you're behind someone who's beating you, uh, you have to find something that they're vulnerable on that resonates with the American voter. And you need to push even harder. And you need to recognize that, that Donald Trump has showed everyone you grab an issue that is highly controversial by the balls and you will win. And that lesson seems to have been lost on all the other candidates. Yep. Who and aren't even, you, they're not even angling for like, oh, since Trump is doing so well, maybe I'd like to angle to get a spot in his administration if he becomes president because they're trying to tear him down. So it's like, what are you guys doing? <laughs> I don't quite right. understand. And to, to stick with the running race analogy, if you're Rand Paul, please don't try to trip the leader. That's not, that's not going to win you the medal. It's just going to get disqualified. Trump is loved. But they, they do not. I don't know if these, these guys do not understand how unbelievably desperate the American population has become. They, they do. They, they everybody. They, they feel the dream completely slipping away. They feel the republic completely slipping away. The country is turning into something they don't recognize. They don't know what the future of their children is going to be. These guys are all fine. You know, they're all wealthy. They're all powerful. Their kids are going to be fine. They're in their gated communities. They don't know how desperate the American people have become and how much they view Donald Trump as their salvation and um to attack the doctor who you think is going to make your kids live is not how you're going to endear yourself to the parents with the same stuff that people are tired of the just kind of media bullshit smear attacks you know uh you said this offhand comment this is upsetting to me let's try and say oh your your career is going to collapse in the polls and i'm curious what fox did tonight (laughs) If they had the same people that said he was going to collapse for the last three months after every public statement, repeating the same mantra tonight. Oh, he's done for after this. <laughs> oh, like uh, this is in no way meant to characterize anything to do with the American election. But one thing that struck me in sort of the study of the rise of Nazism, I know it's a ridiculous analogy. No, and it, it's nothing to do. It's just what people need to understand. This is infinitely far down the road of where Americans are. But Hitler killed people and got elected, right? So so when people get desperate enough, there's nothing that you can throw at the person they think is their savior that will ever stop them. Like when they're that desperate, you know, like literally it's like your kid is going to die. This is the only doctor in the world who can save your kid. But, you know, he might be a pedophile. Be like, well, sorry about the pedophile thing. Please save my child. (laughs) You know, and again, that's nothing to do with American politics. It's just they they don't understand how desperate the American people are, how much they are begging for some salvation from politics as usual and attacking the person that Americans genuinely believe will save the republic and save their futures is absolutely not the right thing to do. You need to be even more of a savior in that. But this is, you know, nobody's going to listen to me because I'm an anarchist, whatever. But uh, that that's the reality as, as I see it. All right. Closing thing, guys. Do you have any predictions like what's going to happen moving forward coming out of this debate? Is anyone going to rise? Anyone going to fall? Any uh, big fallout? I think Trump's going to hold steady. I, I think Trump's so far out ahead that he doesn't need to do a lot of risks. And he didn't take a lot of risks in this. Um, I think he's a smart enough businessman to know that if you're winning, just keep doing what you're doing. And uh, so I think I think his big surprises are behind him for the moment. If he starts to lose his edge, then he'll bring out some more surprises. But um, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. You know, he didn't like keep shaking up the apprentice every year because it was doing so well. 
And so I think Trump's going to keep doing what he's doing. I think he's ahead. Um, uh, and I, I don't think anyone's particularly going to uh, catch up with him. Uh, I think in the long run, we're probably going to see a, um, a Trump Carson ticket. That would be my guess, just based on the numbers. And uh, I think that unless something really surprising happens, which is sort of a useless thing to say, because that's always the case. Uh, but I think that um, it's likely that Trump is going to take uh, the presidency next year. Um, my predictions coming out of this is I think Carson supports going to decrease following this yep. debate. And I think Cruz is going to move up quite a bit in the polls. I think Carly might start moving up a bit in the polls as well. She she was good at doing what it is she does. I don't know the degree that uh, there's going to be a lot of people interested <laughs> in her as a candidate. But uh, for what she is, the type of candidate that she is, she's very good at it, I will say. Agreed. So, uh, but yeah, I think Walker's going to completely vanish. Rubio was pretty nondescript. Rand Paul, Rand's I mean, I'm, I'm curious to see if uh, the talk about the drug stuff does anything with his numbers. I mean, Christie's a non-entity, and uh, Bush is just, I mean, it's, it's uh, yeah, Jeb Bush ain't happening, folks. <laughs> I was going to say that. Any predictions? Actually, I agree with you, Mike. I was actually going to bring that up. I think Ted Cruz actually did the best. Well, he was certainly at the top uh, mm -hmm. in this presidential debate. He was certainly the person I found most enjoyable to listen to and most he, engaging. He hit his messages, and he didn't attack Trump. And, uh, you know, that seems to be a losing proposition. People that attack Trump just go down. So he was... Uh, and he didn't give the scripted uh, replies either, like uh, Mr. Robert uh, Jeb himself did. Mm -hmm. And that, that, that was quite appealing. And he delivered it with a lot of passion, too. And I think he, he will move up the post. I think uh, Ben Carson was fairly boring. <laughs> we made fun of him earlier. And that, I think that will cost him a little bit, but probably not too much because he was still very respectful of Trump, which is, seems to be the ticket up. And uh, I agree with you. I think, I think Rand Paul is done for. He is absolutely done for. Yeah, I can't imagine we're going to see like Rand Paul and Huckabee and you know some of these. At some point, they got to start filtering down the number of candidates they allow on the stage. Yeah. And uh, you know they're certainly in the bottom tier right now when it comes to percentages. Christie's probably gone. And, uh, you know, we've had two Republican debates so far. Maybe we'll get a, a, <laughs> a Democrat presidential debate, you know, if they let Hillary out of whatever broom closet she's trapped in. Um, I, th I think that might actually be occurring in October. I don't know off the top of my head, but we'll cover that as well. Um, if you folks enjoy this and want to hear more of these types of discussions, I don't know. It's uh, sitting through three hours was pretty tedious. I don't know that I'd want yes. to do that, but uh, it's it's uh indicative of you have to i mean if you're gonna cover it if you're gonna cover it you gotta right well they didn't you even tell me ahead of time it was three hours i'm like oh it'll yeah. be two hours maybe 90 minutes or something i think the fox one was two hours and then it's like we're still going what's what's happening here uh, <laughs> right. and maybe at some point someone will start talking about the deficit we'll see well it won't happen in the democrats i was hopeful <laughs> two hours in they brought up domestic issues like oh now they're going to talk about it no they didn't Maybe Romney's gonna come in and really, you know. <laughs> we'll see. All right. Well, so let's. Yeah, listen. Of course, you know when we when we get all political, geeky, wonky, we're just always curious what people think. Uh, uh, this is uh, outside of the traditional, I mean, philosophical bent uh, of the show, but it's 
It's kind of stuff we're probably going to talk about either way, so it might as well record it. But um, uh, let us know what you think of this kind of conversation. And uh, speaking please. about these types of things and pros and cons within a status context does not endorse any of these policies or candidates. I can't say that enough. And uh, regardless of how many times we say it, people seem to get confused. But uh, yes, we're just talking about the election from a general perspective. What's going on? I'm not voting for anyone. And uh <laughs> Yeah, vegans can talk. Vegans can talk about meat recipes without breaking veganhood. Anyway, so um, so yeah, like, share, subscribe. Uh, but but we look forward to your comments below, and uh, suggestions are always uh, welcome. And uh, thanks everyone so much for listening. Uh, we look forward to your feedback, and have yourselves a, a wonderful day.